Thank you, Lord. Two weeks ago, Alan preached a really anointed, masterful message, a sermon that I just loved, entitled, In the Potter's Hands. You liked it? It was a great sermon. It was a great message. He didn't know. I was sitting there looking up on my phone some of my old teachings, and he didn't even know that before he got here, he came in 1997, before he got here in 1996, I actually did a three-part series at church, and I called it On the Potter's Wheel. You were here for that, Kirk. And it became one of my best-selling tape series. Yes, we had tapes. Anybody not know what tapes are? When we moved into this building, our drummer of 24 years, Toby's little girl, Aiden, was helping us unpack. And Alicia was back there and Sandra, and we were unpacking boxes, and we were unpacking some of our old tape series. And she stared at it, and she goes, what are those? She'd never seen tapes in her little life. And so it was one of my best-selling tape series after my emotional healing series. And sometimes in the late 80s when I would go teach on this subject, I would call it old pots, gold pots, and cracked pots. So there was sort of something for everybody, no matter who you thought you were. But every time Alan would say, you've just got to stay on the wheel, you've just got to stay on the wheel, I would go, oh, I love that, because I used to say that exact same thing in some of those series. And I remember as a young baby Christian having a fascination with all the scriptures about vessels. Anytime I would read about vessels in the Word, I would just go, ooh, I love that. Ooh, there's something there for me. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 3. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. He's making something of every one of us. He is making something of us. He is working continually. He doesn't stop. He never stops. He never stops working. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I remember I was in my 20s when I got saved and I was reading these scriptures and I really wanted to be a vessel of honor. I did not want to bring dishonor to God. I'd made some choices because of wounds in my heart as a teenager and I brought dishonor, it felt like, to my family and they let me know it brought them dishonor. And so it was like the, the, the young girl who was supposed to have this wonderful future and, and, and be a valedictorian of the school all of a sudden was the black sheep. And so you're like, what, what can you do with me, God? What can you do? And so I asked God, once I was born again, God, anything in me that will mess up the anointing that you have, that you want to flow through my life, please, God, deal with it. Take it out. I didn't want anything to hinder his anointing from flowing out of me purely. I had sat and listened to people teach, and I would hear them, but I would also, I would hear the word, but I would also hear some of them, and you could feel maybe some of their disappointment or you could feel some of their pain or you could feel some of their regret. And I'm like, God, I don't want anything in me when you're pouring out to come in and sully what you're trying to say. And you know, the devil has a way of bringing up stuff in all of our lives to convince us why we can't be a vessel of honor. No matter what you've been through, God will turn it around and use it for good. 
Everett was growing some stuff he shouldn't have been growing before he showed up at my house and needed a place to live. But you know what? Because of his experience in growing stuff he shouldn't have been growing, he made my hibiscus look beautiful. Like he, could, he had this hydroponic watering system that was just out of sight. I'm like, Everett, Everett, do this to these plants. Everett, I have some plants at home right now that we, they really need your touch. So God can take wherever you've been, whatever you've been through, and use it for his good and for your benefit. And so the devil has a way of bringing up stuff in our lives to convince us why we cannot be a vessel of honor. But God has a way of taking the most unlikely candidates and qualifying them for things they never thought possible. Now, he may also bring stuff up, but it's not to harm you. It's to get it out. It's to get it out. And so there was a woman in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. The story starts in about verse 6. I'm just going to paraphrase the story. And she was a Samaritan woman. Now, know this, the Jews hated Samaritans. They considered them outcasts. They considered them unclean. So they really didn't want to have any dealings with Samaritans. Jews did not want to be around Samaritans. Now, in addition to the fact she was a Samaritan, she was a woman. Now, there is this woman thing, and it actually lasted a long time. And I remember when I taught this series in 1996, Easy and I, girls, listen to this, talked for weeks about, should I really speak three times on a Sunday morning? Would the men be able to receive it? That was a pressing question of the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> We've come a long way, baby. It's like I taught on Wednesday nights, but Easy spoke every Sunday morning. And there were a few women teachers back in the day, but most of the time I heard remarks from the men about how they didn't like her voice, they didn't like the way she dressed, they didn't like it. Like, like there was a lot of criticism for women ministers. And so we said, okay, you know, I go, why don't I try one? And if the men seem to receive it, we'll see if I should do part two. I went ahead and went through part one, part two, and part three. And at part three, I had men at the altar that were presidents of corporations and coaches on hockey teams. And Easy said, I think we're okay. And they were able to receive. But you see, there, there are prejudices in all of us that we don't even realize are there. And so here you have this woman who's a Samaritan and a woman, and she's in the fourth chapter of John. Now, she met Jesus at a well as she was drawing water with her water pot, with her vessel. The Bible tells us it was the sixth hour. Now, to the Jew, that means noon. Their first hour was the break of dawn. So it's high noon is when she met him. She'd been walking to get to that well. And so she was hot. She was tired. There's a little disagreement about where her city was. Some people say it was a half a mile. Some people say it was a mile and a half. Either way, in the noonday sun, walk a half a mile or walk a mile and a half, you're tired and you're carrying a water pot. It's empty when you're going that way, but you're going to carry it back full. Now, who would choose to draw water in the heat of the day at high noon? Like, if you're going to go jog right now in the weather we're having, are you going to do it at high noon? No. It's what? Too hot. It's too hot. You're going to go early in the morning. You're going to go late in the evening. You're going to go when it's a little easier to get your run in. Actually, the other women normally went to the well and drew water at the times I just said, early in the morning, late at night. But the problem was this lady had a little bit of a speckled past. And she had something to hide. And really, because of her reputation, she wanted to avoid being around the other women. She wanted to avoid being around people because she was ashamed. But of course, 
Just because she's wanting not to be noticed, of course, Jesus comes along and asks her a question. You notice Jesus will come along at the most inopportune time and point you out and give you a word. I remember when I was minding my own business, sitting in a church service, and somebody comes up to me and says, you've been hurt deeper than you ever thought you were hurt. And God wants to heal some things in your life. But when he is through, when you're converted, see, when you're changed, he's going to use you to strengthen the brethren. I'm like, what? Please take the focus off me. Talk to someone else. But see, God will come and say things that we don't even expect him to say. And Jesus asked her a question when she's just expecting to get to be there all alone. So she's drawing water with her water pot at Jacob's well. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, because he was weary from his travels, which has been many more miles, he asked her for a drink of water. History tells us that this conversation that he had with the Samaritan woman is the longest personal conversation that he had that we have record of. And smack dab in the middle of it, Jesus manages to bring up the very thing she didn't want to talk about. The thing she wanted to hide. Her long line of men in her life. The reason that she didn't even want to be there if other people were there. Because she had had five husbands, and the guy she was with wasn't even a husband. He was just the latest boyfriend. He was just the latest in a long string. Now, Nobody wants to be shamed. But notice, while Jesus didn't shame her for what her response was about her past, he didn't ignore it either. He didn't let her hide it. He didn't let her hide it. Because hidden things have power. Hidden things foster deception. And God wants to bring hidden things to light so he can deal with them. So they will no longer have power over you. I remember praying fervently, Lord, if there be any hidden thing in me, please reveal it. Bring it to the light. Now, actually, when I prayed it, I didn't think there'd be anything. (laughs) That's how we are, aren't we? (laughs) And then he started showing me things. You know, Catherine Kuhlman once said, God is not looking for golden vessels. God is not looking for silver vessels. God is looking for yielded vessels. But I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to go, God's looking for clear vessels, transparent ones, because transparency leads no place for the devil to hide. See, the devil can't hide if you're an open book. The devil can't hide if your heart is displayed before others that you trust. You know, when Alan spoke about the clay and the potter, he said that the Lord has a very specific plan and purpose for you. Just like Angie had a very specific word this morning. See, there are specific things that God has in mind for you. But he also said the choice is often up to you if you'll let God do it. He talked about being accountable. And so really, that begs the question, who are you accountable to? Are you accountable to anybody? Who will you allow to really know you? And can they speak correction to you if necessary? See, if you think you have to be the only one to see it, and it's something you are blind to, that means you're open for an area of deception, and then someone you trust tries to tell you, but you say, well, I'm waiting for God to show me. Well, uh, he just tried, (laughs) and you wouldn't listen because you didn't like the messenger he sent. You You didn't want him to do it that way. So if you're demanding that he's got to show you, but it's something you're blind to, You're in a catch-22 that I'm afraid you're going to be in for a while. 
Alan asked this question, why would we fight the potter? Why would we resist? Now, none of us say we're resisting. Do you know anybody goes, I'm getting off the wheel. I just want to resist God, and I'm not in the mood to do what God is saying. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do what God says. Now, wait, wait. One time my husband, <laughs> we were at a meeting, and he got a prophetic word that we're going to have another wave of young people. And he was, what, in his late 70s, and he looked depressed. And he goes, wait, we've been through this once. We're going to do it again? And <laughs> but the word was very specific that another wave of young people was coming. And this is before Dan and Alicia and, and Aiden and Naeli, and this is before Christine, and, and this is before Hannah and Riley were even old enough to be included in that category. And, and so he just looked depressed, and I go, look, I married a man of God who would do whatever God said, and so all I know is get your attitude fixed by morning, or this isn't the man that I intended to marry. And so before we had communion the next morning, because he was supposed to do communion, he got his attitude right, and we got the second wave. They're coming in, and they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But see, sometimes we don't like what God says, and we don't want to do it that way, but rarely will anybody admit it. At least he told me the truth. I, I can respect that. I can, we can work with that. God can work with that. And so most people won't say, no, I'm getting off the wheel. God, take your hands off me. You know, <laughs> don't reach my way. But the truth is, even though we don't say we're resisting, every potter, every potter that you will ever talk to that does pottery for a living, every professional potter, every master potter will talk about feeling resistance in clay even while it's on the wheel. You can be sitting here in church resisting God. You can be praying resisting God. You can be preaching a sermon and still be resisting God somewhere. So let me tell you a story. A friend of mine went to a place called Silver Dollar City. It's outside of Branson, Missouri. And they had all these exhibitions and, and um, you know, things that you could watch. And so they were educational and, 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 you know, unique to see. And one of the exhibitions was a master potter working at a wheel. And so he would reach down in this huge sack, and he'd pick a lump of clay, and people were just sort of watching, really interested. And they would watch as he'd spin and mold, and he'd put one hand in and one hand out, and constantly dipping his hand in water because the potter always makes sure that his hands are plenty wet so there's no drag on the clay as he's shaping it at the wheel. And spin and mold, spin and mold, dip his hand, and ever so gently they'd watch him shape and then reshape, and all the people are watching intently this process. And as they're all watching and his audience is sort of really, you know, like really interested in, in where he's going with it, he shocked him all of a sudden because he took the piece he was making, grabbed it together, and slung it against a back wall. And people were like, what? what did he, why? Why did he do that? And so people said, what was that about? And he said, as I was working on that piece of clay, it began not to let me do what I wanted to do with it. There was resistance I could feel. And if I left it on the wheel, unbalanced as it was, it could fly off and even hurt the audience of people that was watching. So I just slung it off the wheel onto the wall. Sometimes I'll, if, if I feel that, I'll put it back in the sack where it's dark and then it'll soften. And sooner or later, it will be ready to be molded. So maybe you're in a place where you're on the wall or back in the sack. I don't know. See, maybe you've made that decision. But all I know is the potter won't leave you there forever. I'm going to read this a little. I, I recommend not reading when you're preaching, but this is called In the Potter's Hands. It's a book from 1985. Alan, you were nine years old when the lady wrote this. 
she, she titled it What Your Sermon Was. And she's talking about a process called wedging, wedging. And any potter knows what wedging means. The scripture, Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? If a lump of clay should choose to go its own way, rather than yield to the hands of the potter, it still doesn't have to be wasted. Through a process called wedging, it can be corrected and restored. Corrected and restored. In wedging, the ball of clay is cut into with a wire, and the two pieces then are sharply slapped back together. This can be done 15 times, 16 times, 20 times if necessary, so that the irregularities of hardness can be corrected. Throughout the process, to prevent the clay from becoming stiff or dry, the potter lovingly keeps sprinkling it with water. He'll keep bringing the word your way. He'll keep saying the same thing over and over. He'll keep trying to make you soft to the thing he's saying. But stubbornness and a desire to please ourselves is a barrier in any of our relationships with the Lord. So perhaps the Lord is wedging you over and over to get your attention. These are his expressions of love to keep us from going in the wrong direction. Just as water is sprinkled on clay to keep it soft, God's dealings with his vessels are watered with his love and with his mercy. We spend a lot of energy striving sometimes with God, and it's wasted energy. But forgiveness and restoration is available if we will repent. To repent means to change directions and walk in agreement with God. You know, we can be in disagreement with God yesterday and in agreement today. It's just about whatever thought we get in agreement with. Whatever thing we choose to believe and begin to say and live by is what we're in agreement with. So yesterday I may have thought a wrong thought, and I may have really thought that that was the right way to go, and today I realize the error of my ways, and I can turn and repent on a dime. And everything can change, and I'm going in a new direction. We can accept God's wedging in our lives so that we can lose that stubborn, unyielded part of our old nature. Jesus didn't just come to die for us, but to show us how to live. He is a practical God. He knew we would need second chances because our only perfection is in him. No potter ever denies a lump of clay another opportunity to repent, learn, and become. Perhaps we have failed in marriage, in school, as a parent, or just failed in life. Though the world might discard us, the Lord looks upon us as a precious keepsake. He specializes in those who need second chances. We have a bond with the Father that failure cannot break. He is not disappointed in us. He knows our past, but he also knows our future. And sometimes the devil tries to keep us tied to our past, but God says, no, you have a future. And so the Lord will provide. The enemy cannot harm us. No one can abort God's plan for our life but us. I'm going to say it again. No one can abort God's plan for our life but us. We can. We have free will. While Satan would like to make us think that God has not made provision for our failures, God's word will always encourage us. Jesus calls out to the nothing in us and says, let there be. Let there be all that he plans for us to be in him. Let there be good from that is seemingly reduced to rubble. Nothing but our stubborn nature stands in the way of our climbing to the place of obedience so that we can lay at the master potter's feet any area of stubbornness that causes us to experience the wedging process. And then the prayer is saying, Lord, wash away my irregularities of hardness. Irregularities of hardness. There are sometimes just hidden things in us. Sometimes things we may think are even insignificant. 
that God knows must be dealt with before we can really become all that he has for us to be. The, the chief role of the potter is to unbind that which is bound, really to release the clay to become all that it can be. None of us are yet all that we can be. That process will go on repeatedly until the day we die. But it's interesting that a very small stone in a piece of pottery can become buried under the surface of the clay. You can't even see it with the naked eye. And it can be covered by maybe other beautiful traits or the shape of the vessel. But when put into the firing process, that one stone will poke a hole in the pot. That one stone will cause a place to be on the lip of a vase so that you can't even use it or pour out of it. That one stone can mar the whole vessel. And God is patient and he's persistent. And I've said, Lord, anything in me. And so he'll look for stones, not just rocks. He doesn't just look for vultures. He'll look for stones. Lord, if there's a pebble, Lord, if there's anything in me that's going to hinder the purpose that you have for me, I want it out. So tiny flaws that might mar our lives and make us unfit for the purpose he has in mind are important to him. And yet he approaches it with such love. And so hidden resistance, I believe, can sometimes be attached to hidden sin. It can be attached to old habits that don't reflect Jesus's ways. But many times, most of the time, a lot of the time, hidden resistance is a hardened place we've developed because of hurt. A hardened place we've developed because of pain. Because we need to protect us. And it's false protection. It's a self-additive that God never wanted for us. And God sees it as a detriment. It's not about getting our way, but see, it's about letting God have his way. And so for his way, we can't keep our false additive, our protection, and we have to let it go. And so maybe we were hurt by parents, and it's formed attitudes and opinions and thoughts in us. Maybe we were betrayed by a friend. Maybe we were hurt by a spouse or even hurt by our children. Maybe we were hurt by a church or a pastor or an employer or someone we trusted. There's lots of ways that resistance in our hearts develops. And trust that we have is tampered with so that we won't trust the master potter. See, if, if people in authority hurt us, then we're, we're naturally resistant to others in authority. If people that we put our trust in hurt us, we don't want to give anybody else our trust. And so the truth is all vessels, though, have their beginning in the potter's mind. He starts out with the plan. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. When you were formed, I knew you. I had a purpose and a plan for you. It was for good and not evil. And so it's not like there's this, I wonder what's going to happen. God has a plan for you. And if you press into him, he will let you know what it is. All vessels have their beginning in the potter's mind. But before setting the wheel in motion, the potter actually knows what the clay will be, and he starts to name it. He starts to name it, what it's going to be. No bowl or pitcher just happens accidentally. Someone who studied potters at work once said, I have observed hundreds of skilled potters working at the wheel, and not once, not once, have I seen a potter change his mind in the middle of forming a vessel. If God told you something, he won't change his mind. See, maybe you veered off and maybe it's taken forever, but he doesn't change his mind. Not once has a skilled potter ever decided to... to, to Throw that plan out and go, okay, you just can't be that. He will try as long as you will let him. And so he doesn't decide to make a slender pitcher when he started with a bowl. He keeps going on the path that he decided he was going to be on. 
But even though the clay may resist, the potter will cup his strong hands around the clay. He'll start over and over and over. And if at all possible, if you will let him, he will go in the direction that he's already decided is the best one for you. As many times necessary to get the hidden resistance out. Whether it's a fear, an insecurity, rejection, shame, humiliation, unworthiness, areas of pain from your past, whatever is affecting you actually infects those around you. And God wants to bind up what's broken. You know that when a potter binds up what's broken on a pot, he'll take the blood. There's a little insect called the fasuka, and it feeds off the blood of bulls and goats. And so you know how if you squeeze a mosquito that's been sucking off you, you know, you, you squeeze it and you'll see the blood? Well, actually, the potter would take this little insect because it had the blood of bulls and goats, things that were actually used as sacrifices. And it would squeeze, the potter would squeeze the little insect, and there would be blood in it. And he'd take that blood and mix it with water and mix it with the broken pieces of the pottery and make a paste of it and then begin to mend the broken spot on the pot. The blood is used in pottery and the blood is used in our life. The blood and the water to mend the broken places of our life. So it doesn't matter how broken you are. There's, there's no brokenness that the blood of Jesus and the water of the word cannot remedy. And so God wants to fix the crack so you can hold water. See, sometimes we're just leaky vessels. <laughs> we have these broken spots in us, and no matter how much God pours in, it just keeps pouring out. And we don't feel like we can stay whole. And God doesn't want us to be leaky for our own sake, but also so that we can be vessels that can pour out. See, we say, God, I want to be useful in your hands. I want, I want to be used. I want to be a vessel of honor. But if you're broken and bruised, it's hard. It's hard because you can't pour out what you don't have. And if everything that's built in you starts to leak out, you start giving away, you don't have anything left. And God wants you to be full so that you can have enough to give away to others. You know, Jesus and the woman talked about water, the woman at the well. He told her, whoever drinks of water from the well that we're standing at will thirst again. But if they would just drink of the water he would give, they would never thirst. That the water he would give would go inside them, bring a fountain of water, bring refreshing to their life, bring fullness, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, it's not holy water. You know, people go, is this holy water? No, it's living water. It's living water. It's alive it has the power to heal. It has the power to refresh. It power to restore living water. And so the woman, remember, she brought her water pot to that well. She was carrying it. But after her conversation with Jesus, she left it there. She left it there. And it, the Bible says she went into a nearby city, and she began to tell people about Jesus. And she said, I met a man who told me everything I'd ever done. And the Bible says many believed in him because of the word of the Samaritan woman. So this unclean woman who was disqualified by the Jews, who wasn't even the right gender, she became an evangelist. And she, effect, she affected all these people with the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what flowed out of her, see, living water got on the inside of her. She walked up to that well dead, didn't even fill her water pot because of her conversation, but walked away full. Because living water was on the inside of her. And so she became a water pot. She left the water pot she held on to, and she became a water pot in his hands. I remember when I was young, probably born again one, maybe one or two years, 
I heard a, someone tell a story in a sermon, and they talked about how in, in those days that there were many pots that you would fill with water, and the ones that had dirty water that you would wash your feet in or you would feed to the animals or, you know, give drink to the animals, you know, were in a certain category. But there was one vessel called the vessel of honor that they would fill with clear, fresh water. And then you would put it on your shoulder when you'd go out in your travels. That way, if you saw a thirsty traveler, another person in need, you could pour out and, and give them some of that water. And I thought, oh, God, I, I want to be able to do that. And see, that's when he said, Lena. You don't have to carry it. You are my vessel. You can be my vessel of honor every day if you just let me fill you up. But first, you've got to let me get the vessel okay. You've got to let it be able to hold water. You've got to let me patch the cracks. You've got to let me get to the holes. And I'm going to put my finger on him. I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to ignore it, but I'm going to fix it. And see, that's our God. He doesn't ever tell us a problem that he doesn't have the solution. And so in so doing, telling everybody about what Jesus had just done in her life, that woman found her purpose. She didn't need another man. She found the man, the man who healed her soul, the man who came in and changed her life and gave her a purpose that she didn't have to keep searching anymore. And pots are just really containers. They hold something. And so sometimes God puts something in, but sometimes he needs to take something out. But we've got to give him permission. And so we are made to hold on to the life of God on the inside of us. Just like a potter, God picks us out of the miry clay. It's a smelly, stinky place. He places us on the potter's wheel. He purges us in the refiner's fire. He patterns us into his image. And he perfects us to get out all the imperfections, even that others don't see, so that we will really be fit for his use and be able to accomplish the purpose that he has intended for our life. So really, when we read like that scripture we started with in Timothy about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, it's not like God chooses. You choose. You get to choose. Lord, do I want to be the vessel of honor that you want me to be? If so, God, any hidden resistance in me, anything in my life that's causing you not be able to shape me and mold me the way you have decided, God, I want it out. You give him permission. That's all you need to do. Give him permission. Pray that dangerous prayer because he knows your purpose. And the Lord says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that the excellency of the power, he wants to fill your vessel. It's supposed to hold a precious treasure. You're an earthen vessel. There's a precious treasure inside it. But the excellency of the power is of him and not of you. No matter how beautiful the vessel is, it can't compare to what God wants to pour on the inside of you so that you can pour out to others. We used to sing this song, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, yet he made something beautiful out of my life. So no matter where you find yourself today, if you feel like I'm not in a good place today, this isn't a happy time for me, God can make something beautiful out of your life if you let him. If you put your eyes back on him, if you say, God, just put your hands on me. God, there's no place you can't touch. There's no place you can't point out. There's nothing I won't let you do. I will put my trust in you. Lord, heal up everything in me that needs to be healed. Every broken place, I give you permission to put your hands there, God. I'm not afraid of you. God, there's nothing bad that you have in mind for me. And so just let him do that. Stand to your feet with me today. Father, we just submit ourselves afresh and anew to you. We just say, God, we really do 
want you to get all up in our business. God, we say that our business is not just our business, it's your business. And so we give ourselves to you, God. We surrender once again. And we say, come in, God, and have your way. Have your way. You are the potter. We are the clay. We will not tell you what to do. We will not tell you how to do it. But we'll say, God, do your thing. Because your thing will be the best thing for us and everybody around us. And so, Father, we love you. We trust you. Lord, work on the inside of us. Have your way. Have your pleasure. And, Father, I just thank you that everyone under the sound of my voice will be a vessel fit for the master's use, bringing honor to your kingdom, glory to you. And everybody said amen and amen.